Second pick, the Philadelphia Eagles select Donovan McNabb, quarterback, Syracuse University. Don't move. Again, and welcome to another edition of the Boo Birds podcast. I'm Joe Greenwich, joined by my co-host, John Sager. John, how are you? I'm doing great. Just enjoying this Labor Day weekend. How is that Labor Day weekend treating you? We're uh, recording on Monday afternoon here, and uh, we've had a pretty nice weekend weather-wise. I was able to get out and play a little golf, uh, very little golf, golf as a generous term for what I was doing on Saturday late afternoon. What have you been up to? Well, I've been going out with uh, my uh, my in-laws on uh, Saturday night. We went up, uh, had a little little cookout. My uh, brother-in-law has a, a pizza oven outside, so that's a little something uh, special to enjoy. And then today we're going over to another cookout, just taking advantage of the ability to spend time with a larger group of family while the weather's still nice and um, you know before things get cold and it's you know it's harder to uh, sort of congregate. Everyone keeping their six feet apart, though, of course, right? Of course. No, I'm not counting when we're reaching for the last slice of pizza. That that could be a little dicey. One of those is I think I've seen them on on TV, those ovens where you can put a whole pizza in there and it cooks in like 90 seconds. Is it one of those? No, it is. It is very legit red brick, just like you would dream of. They They have a really nice setup outside. Maybe this is a topic for another another podcast. But what uh, what are you putting on your pizza when you're uh, making your personalized pizza? Well, here's the thing: I didn't have to make anything, so and any time that you don't have to cook anything, it always tastes better. Uh, but <laughs> I had a little bacon pizza, so that was always good. Interesting. Well, if you want to get in touch with us, uh, we're on Twitter at Boo Birds Podcast. You can like our Facebook page at Boo Birds Podcast as well. We also have an email form on our website. Just go to boobirdspodcast.com. Click on the contact link, fill out the form, and you can send in your thoughts and comments. Today, we've got a little bit of chat about the Flyers. Game 7, Saturday night, eliminated by the Islanders, just short of the conference finals. We'll talk about the Eagles. They get underway on Sunday afternoon against Washington. And I will make sure that we talk about some soccer. But first, John, why don't you tell us a little bit about the recent news? The Flyers reached Game 7 in dramatic fashion, becoming only the second NHL team in history to overcome a 3-1 deficit with overtime wins in Game 5 and 6, and then laid a dud on Saturday night. The 4-0 loss continues the city's bad luck in Game 7s. No Philadelphia team has won a Game 7 since the Flyers defeated Buffalo in the first round of the 2011 playoffs. After a slow start, the Phillies have arrived in the playoff hunt. Despite dropping two games to the Mets, they have erased their early season hole after a stretch where they won 10 of 11. We promised that we would talk about soccer on the podcast. The Union have been playing well of late. They bested the New York Red Bulls on Sunday night and are currently tied with Toronto for second in the Eastern Conference. They currently sit five points behind Columbus. The Eagles are finalizing their 53-man roster. Cornerbacks Sidney Jones and Rasul Douglas were the biggest names cut from the team over the weekend. Nate Gary and Derek Barnett are the only players remaining from the team's 2017 draft. Eagles fans are usually all over draft bus, but the saving grace of 2017 still appears to be Barnett. Of the 20 players drafted as defensive ends that year, with 14 sacks, Barnett has the fourth most in that category. Cleveland's Miles Garrett is the only home run of the bunch when he's on the field, with the emphasis on when. He's been dominant. Uh, Barnett's been consistent, but 
that, that draft doesn't appear to be holding up as well as fans had hoped at the time. And that's the news. Yeah, you mentioned when Miles Garrett's been on the field, when he's been on the field, not swinging helmets at people, which unfortunately for him, I think is what he's always going to be remembered for. No matter what kind of career he ends up having, he's going to be remembered for trying to decapitate Mason Rudolph. Well, and for those efforts, he got a five-year, $125 million extension this summer. So swinging helmets, that might be the way to go. <laughs> Maybe that's what we should have gotten into instead of starting a podcast. All right, John, it's time for our weekly segment. What are you drinking? John? What are you drinking today? Well, usually drinking something a little bit more on the adult beverage scale, but today, coffee. What kind? I'm not sure if, if that Seattle-based chain quite has you know reached out to us yet. Check the email. Might be able to squeeze them in, but coffee, what kind? Caffeinated. Joe, what are you drinking? Well, I went the other direction. I've had some sort of water the first two times we've done this. Today, drinking scotch. Ooh. What kind? Well, I don't want to say, but I will say that it rhymes with uh, Zen Quidditch. So uh, stepping up the adult beverage game today. That was What Are You Drinking? Brought to you today by Zen Quidditch. If you can't decide between meditation and riding a broomstick, try Zen Quidditch. All right, John, we're going to talk real quick about the Flyers. We talked about them a little more in depth last week as they trailed three to one. They battled back a couple of overtime wins. Showed a little bit of grit and determination, if not great hockey. Then they get to game seven and they've managed only 16 shots on goal for the entire game. Thomas Grice, a shutout in goal for the Islanders as they move on to play Tampa Bay. A 4 nothing win. Carter Hart pulled for the extra attacker with something like seven or eight minutes to go in the game. And the Islanders just about immediately scored. Flyers never really in it, down 2 nothing after the first period. Is this one of those situations where maybe you would have felt better if they had just lost in game five and didn't kind of give that little bit of hope and like, oh, well, well, well we're back in it. Now we got a chance. And would it have been better if they had just flamed out? The emotional part of me being a fan says, yeah, I kind of wish they didn't they didn't give me that hope. It just been over. Um, but the more analytical side says it's you know it's progress for the franchise they didn't play that well and still took it to seven games in the second round i think anyone before the season starts uh would have taken uh one game short of the conference finals uh you know it's just heartbreaking in hindsight um everyone always wants you know heads to roll right after you know a, a no-show game like that but you know they gave us a great ride and hockey's back which is something that we haven't had in a while well i think kind of what we talked about before, or at least what I talked about before, kind of plays a big part in what you just said. Yeah, before the season, it's like, oh, wow, you're going to make it to game seven of the conference semifinals. Awesome. But expectations changed when they were one of the hotter teams in the league in March, and then everything shut down and nobody knew what to expect. And then you get back to the bubble, they play those three games, they win them, and now they're the top seed. And that carries with it a level of expectation, even if it's kind of like, I mean, I hate to use this word, but fraudulent. They were not the best team in the Eastern Conference this year. They were not even close. I would say they were much closer to being even with New York than they were being a top seed versus a six seed. So I think that kind of builds up the expectations. I talked to a couple of people. The general consensus seems to be like what you said. Everyone's on the whole happy with the season and it was kind of gravy at this point. I can certainly empathize with that sort of thinking. Um I felt that way when the Eagles first made the Super Bowl 
during that run in the early 2000s, it was like, you know what? doesn't even matter to me if they win or lose because they finally made it after like 17 consecutive NFC title games. But seeing the way that they, like you said, they just no showed in that game, you know, and, and, and maybe there's some fatigue, but really the momentum should be on their side. You know, the, the pressure really should have been on the Islanders not to blow that three, one lead. And the flyers just came out and they looked slow. They looked disinterested at times. Um, I think that kind of in the moment overshadows the achievement. And then you can look at, you know, all the young guys on the team, they moving forward, they can be one of those teams that is maybe a, a legit top seed. They've got a goaltender. Uh, he should only get better with age over the next few years. And he's pretty good now. He single-handedly kept them in those overtime games. But, you know, you look at everyone's going to talk about Claude Giroux and Travis Konechny and Jacob Voracek. Basically, no showing the entire playoffs, it seems like. Well, you know, obviously you want more out of those players. So you're going to take the positive of they're not going to be that bad all the time. But hey, you know, those are guys who are have been around. Like Drew has been here, it feels like forever. I don't, I don't know how old he is. He's probably younger than we are. But he's one of those guys that feels like he's been part of the team forever. And now you start to think about, as you mentioned, heads rolling. It wouldn't be the coaching staff. It would be turnover with players. I don't know if they're going to get rid of their captain. It seems like Jacob Vorchek could be an odd man out in a situation like that. But obviously, you would have wanted to get more out of those guys. Instead, they they kind of seemed like they patched it together a little smoke and mirrors. They relied on Carter Hart a bit. I, I think uh, the the key thing to take away from it is that if if you look at it with the proper perspective of, you know, like you said, before the season, you would have taken that in a heartbeat and they weren't really a top seed and New York really shouldn't have been a six or seven seed type team. New York was the better team. You could argue in all seven games, I would say at least five or six of them, maybe with the exception of game five, the Flyers had a 3-1 lead, had a late brain fart to end up sending that game to overtime. But at least six of the seven games, I think the Islanders were the better team. So the Flyers, you could argue, were lucky to be where they were. All in all, like you said, kind of good to have them be relevant again on the national scene after a stretch of struggles. It's 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 good to have, like you said, a competitive hockey team because while the Eagles are always number one in this town, I feel like when the Flyers are good, there's a certain, I don't know if it's a certain element of the fan base or a certain just atmosphere with with the sport that the people really seem to get into the flyers when they're good in a way that they don't necessarily with our other teams. Well, you mentioned uh, how long it's been uh, when you go back to the uh, game seven that I mentioned from 2011 earlier, Claude Giroux was on that team. Um, he's someone who's been around long enough that he's made his way onto a lot of the, you know, the franchise uh, stats especially for scoring. Um, but he hasn't had that playoff moment. And I think he was looked at for a long time as being the, you know, the, the next great one in the franchise. And it hasn't really uh, panned out. Um, you know, some of that's not his fault. He hasn't had the players around him. But you kind of hoped that someone of his stature would Know, step it up this time around. It's been so long since he's had a real legit shot to go on a, a deep run and kind of 
nothing. It was a bit of a, a, a letdown for sure on Saturday night, but tip our hats to the Flyers for a good run. Obviously, this year, it's going to have a big giant asterisk next to it anyway. Just even in our minds from everything that's happened and the long break uh, between the season and the bubble. It, it, it was fun to have them around, and, and, and we hope that they keep it going, that this was not the aberration and that, you know, what we saw in March as the team heated up and kind of came together is what we're going to see moving forward out of this group. Now, I mentioned in the open that we were going to talk about soccer. Um, you mentioned the union playing well. Fell last week at Columbus, one nothing in a, a huge match for them. Uh, they, they played pretty well in that match. Columbus is very good. Um, I want to say they've conceded like one goal in in open play since uh, maybe since that MLS's back tournament came back. Um, but then Sunday night smashed New York Red Bulls three nil. That's a team that MLS rivalries can be kind of forced, but that's a bit of a natural rivalry for the union Red Bulls playing in Harrison, New Jersey, just a short ride up the NJ transit line. New York seemed to have a little bit more of the run of play during that one. And then Brendan Aronson, the 19 year old union Academy product who will not be a member of the union for very long. He will be sold to Europe relatively soon, whether it's during this transfer window, not likely it's it's coming to an end soon or in January. I think he'll probably be with the team through whatever constitutes the playoffs this year and however long they last. I do not think he will be starting the season with the union in 2021. That's kind of the way things go for MLS. You kind of grow the players, you sell them on and reinvest that money into the squad. It's unfortunate because he's a local guy. He's from just over the bridge in Jersey and he's really, really good. He's like the first name on the team sheet, but that's pretty much how things go in MLS. That's how the Academy is designed. And besides the union have signed his younger brother, Paxton, to come join the team next year. He's been another one of their Academy products playing for their USL side. Uh, one thing I've been curious about, you're a union season ticket holder for a long time. Uh, what's it been like to to watch the, you know, the MLS's back tournament and, uh, you know, them play, you know, re- or, you know, the regular season play uh, just without being able to go down to Chester and, you know, tailgate and you know, take advantage of the atmosphere that they always have down there? Well, it's funny that the season started, they played two matches. Neither one of them was at home. Their first home match was supposed to be the Saturday after everything kind of shut down uh, sports-wise. And for a while, that match was still on. They were still going to have fans. And I was kind of torn because it was becoming clear that it might not be safe to be in, in a crowd like that. And, you know, they talked about all the precautions and all the cleaning and stuff they were going to do. But ultimately, it was it was going to be one of those things where, I had to make a decision and I had decided not to go to the match and then they canceled it. So I haven't seen the team play in person all year. Um, I was kind of skeptical about whether the MLS's back tournament would work in general, but between MLS and NWSL, the women's league was out in Utah. The bubbles kind of worked and that kind of showed us what the NBA and the NHL were going to be doing, but the bubble worked. The team, the union specifically, I don't think they played all that well throughout much of their time there. They reached the semifinals, but you know, they had a one nothing win against New York City where maybe they weren't 
always the best team on the field. They had a draw with Orlando that maybe they could have gotten more out of. Referees helped out the home team a little bit. And then they also had a game with Miami where they had some lapses. Andre Blake basically played the Carter Hart role. He was far and away the best goalkeeper in the tournament. He's been one of the best goalkeepers in the league this year and throughout his career. He did a lot to keep them in those matches and win the matches that they won. Then in the knockout round, they had a, a little nervy first game, but then they 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 had a stretch in, in a game against Kansas City where they dominated and they got three goals in, in quick succession and kind of rode it out from there. So it was good to see that, but then playing against Portland, you knew it was always going to be tough. And and I kind of felt like that's where it was going to end for them. But it, it did kind of get you a little bit more excited for the season that they had announced was going to come after it. So while it may be similar to the Flyers, while it didn't it didn't end the way that, you know, it maybe could have, because there were a lot of folks that thought that, you know, they could be a favorite to win it once they got started. Um it certainly was a springboard to know that they didn't play their best soccer for 90 minutes in any of those matches. And yet they they had a chance late to tie up the semifinal. Um, they've come back and defensively played well. Andre Blake, again, has played well. They had that little blip in Columbus. Columbus, the best team in the East. To this point, they showed out in the MLS's back tournament and they've kept it going. But I'm interested to see what happens now. There's supposed to be another phase of regular season games announced. I'm interested to see what they do, how they carry it forward, how the playoffs are going to be structured, because the Union are legit contenders to win the Eastern Conference. And the teams going into the year, you always think about LA, you know, Seattle, Portland. Those teams haven't exactly been lighting it on fire out West. The Union could very well be the next Philadelphia team to win a championship. They, they are one of the top teams in the league right now. And it seems really strange to say. I've been a season ticket holder since something like their fourth or fifth season, and they're in year 11 now. And for a while, it was as much about the fun, and you mentioned the tailgates and spending the time with your friends, as it was you know, the soccer. But Ernst Tanner, you got to give all the credit to him as the the technical director, and, and Jim Curtin, the head coach, local guy, Villanova product, took over, had some bumps in the road. Fans weren't necessarily thrilled to see him retained at one point. I'm never really one to call for a coach to be ousted, and I didn't hear. I figured, you know, that it's one of those situations where the coach can only work with the roster he's given, and the team wasn't really committed to building that roster. They are now in a much better way than they were. So you see guys like Brendan Aronson, Mark McKenzie, Matthew Real scored a goal last night, Anthony Fontana. These are academy guys that have been, for lack of a better way to put it, born and bred in the union system. And now they're paying dividends on the field and could soon pay dividends off of it, literal dividends, to see some actual structure and some some forward movement in the team has been great to see. And now they're reaping the rewards. And, and it's just fun to watch. I wish it could be in the stadium, but at the same time, they're putting the games on television. I'm plopping down at seven o'clock at night every five, six days or whatever to watch them. And and it's it's fun to know that they could win when you sit down to watch. They're they're 
have been times and there are games where you sit down and you go, well, let's just try to keep it under three. And now it's like, all right, well, let's go beat this team. And, you know, Sunday night against the Red Bulls seemed a little shaky at times, but they got that goal to get the lead and then some great play at the offensive end, got those other goals and, and basically saw things off and it was just kind of kicking it around for the last 20 minutes or so. And that's great as a fan. When you can shut a match down after 70 minutes, it's like when you have a a shutdown bullpen in baseball and you have a five run lead after six and the game's over. It, it, it's it's really kind of fun to watch. It's it, it what's, seems what's that like? I haven't <laughs> uh, I haven't seen that from the Phillies in a while. It seems counterintuitive to say it's enjoyable to watch your team kick the ball around to each other for 20 minutes, but it, it's it's the soccer version of, of kneeling on it. And the the union haven't been a team historically that can kneel on the ball in the last 20 minutes. So uh it's 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 just it's fun. It's great to see. I wish more people would get interested in the game. But if if you're not going to be interested in it, folks, then that's fine. I sure am, and I'm gonna enjoy it. Yeah, one thing uh, I've noticed just in watching games on on TV this year, I've kind of adapted to the different sports just as a as a viewer with not having the fans. And I think soccer to me is weird. Uh, this might be because I tend to watch it more on the World Cup level than the, the MLS level, but I'm used to just seeing stadiums packed with atmosphere. And uh, like I've been able to adjust to you know basketball just because I've seen so many games in a nearly empty gym, or I've uh, you know watched you know if you watch like the Euro Championships or something like that, it's not quite the same. Baseball, kind of the same thing. Like uh, you know if you you know you walk by. I live by a you know baseball field, so it's been. It's not uncommon for me to walk by and see two people in the stands, but uh, for soccer, and then I also believe the NFL. It's going. To, it's just weird right, just to right. see cardboard cutouts. I think TV broadcasts have been doing as best as they can with the you know the piped in crowd noise and the, the, the cutouts, but it's not the same for certain sports. I think the NBA has done a great job, um, you know, down down in the bubble, but um, just, uh, you know, MLS and uh, probably the NFL. Um, it's just, it's just weird. There's certain sports where you're just used to fans, you know, playing a role in the game, um, as well. And just the absence of that, um, has been odd to watch. And, uh, you know, MLS is no different than everybody else right now. Yeah. Atmosphere in soccer really seems to come through on television as well as it does anywhere. I remember when the MLS tournament started, uh, Fox and ESPN, were both carrying matches and they took different approaches to the crowd noise. ESPN wasn't using crowd noise. They were using field mics, at least at first. And you could pick up more of the on-field chatter, which had its drawbacks if you're part of the FCC. But Fox Sports, they were doing the crowd noise thing and it, it just it was too much. It was too loud. It was too much. I think everyone has kind of found a happy medium. Obviously, you know, no one has been through this before. But I think that, yeah, watching a soccer broadcast can lose something without, you know, the singing, the chanting, the drums, just the buzz in the crowd. Oh, 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 on every, you know, attempt at at goal that you don't quite hear in other sports. But I think the networks have done a a decent job at at kind of finding that, like I said, the happy medium between the dead silence and just going overboard with it. And 
it's almost to the point where I don't notice it anymore. Like the only way that I notice that, you know, there's nobody in the stands is when I see what is clearly Subaru Park and I'm not there. Like that's really the only thing that that makes me realize, oh, right, they're playing in an empty stadium. They've got the, the tarps up covering the seats, projecting ads elsewhere. But not being there is really the only thing that takes away from the whole experience and reminds you, oh, right, yeah, 2020. John, any other uh, quick hits before we get into the Eagles? The only thing that came up last week that kind of bugged me was Joel Embiid uh, sort of doing what he does with the, you know, the Twitter um, troll role that he actually plays well. I, I know for the most part, it's just him messing around, but he, he last week he was, you know, tweeting out how, you know, unhappy he is. And uh, I, I think he meant it as a joke, probably just to stir stuff up just because nothing, he has not, not much else is going on right now. Um, but at the same point, it's kind of the way the season ended, just very tone deaf. Granted, he was the, you know, the only star that was really standing at the end uh, against Boston. But uh, I just just wish he would kind of knock it off a little bit. I, you know, I get he's having fun. Sometimes they get some going. But, you know, your coach was fired. You know, kind of read the room. <laughs> it's 2020. Nobody's happy. Yeah, I, I I know we we were very close to an emergency pod when you saw some of those tweets. I know you were uh, you were quite lit up about them. Yeah, it's just it just kind of tired of it. Uh, it's at some point, some of the team's issues are on, on him with the conditioning. Um, not as much this year as, as previous years. You know, last year I, there's a there's a part of me that thinks at the peak of the process era was that dunk that he had against Toronto at home, that windmill dunk. Uh, and then the next game, he gets sick uh, because he was out late too much at a, at a comedy show. And, you know, it's like, okay, it, that happens. But, you know, in the playoffs. And then this year, luckily for the Sixers, they didn't have to worry about that down in Disney World in the bubble. But um, just don't just kind of knock it off. Read the room. <laughs> Just, just go to the gym. Just don't, don't, just put away, put down Twitter. Somebody take it away. Hire an intern. They can do your tweets for you. All right, John. Well, I'm glad you were able to finally get that off your chest here on the pod. This podcast is about me. It's nice to have something to be a little, <laughs> little, little cathartic. We're gonna take a break, and when we come back, we're gonna talk about the Eagles' season getting underway on Sunday, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Stick around. We'll be right back. Here on the Boo Birds podcast, John, it's the first full week of September, which means this weekend is the start of the NFL season. I don't want to say that it caught me off guard because it didn't really, but I personally have felt incredibly disconnected from football. I usually play in a couple of fantasy leagues and not to send this down the fantasy football path, but the one league that I run, I sent out an email last week. Because I had almost completely forgotten about it and no one had said a word. And I sent an email, hey, does anyone want to play? Nobody really is interested in fantasy this year. Um, how, how do you like, do you feel like it's football season? Do you feel like you have 
like any sort of connection to the NFL. I think we alluded to it before uh, and we were talking between ourselves. The lack of preseason games has really kind of thrown everything off. Yeah, and this even comes on uh, on the back of Saturday um, where I woke up on Saturday morning, gorgeous weather, and my first thought was, oh, this is football weather. A little, little cooler, probably the first nice day we've had uh, you know, over the summer. And then I thought, oh, this, you know, this starts to to feel like, uh, you know, you know, I'm ready. And then it was just kind of meh. Like it just sort of returned to the, I don't, I don't care about it as much. And I, I think some of it's just the, the lack of buildup. Um, normally, you know, Philadelphia is a super passionate football town, but, and then there's been, but there's no preseason games. We can't talk about, oh, we liked this, uh, you know, free agent, um, you know, who was signed after the draft or the seventh round pick. You know, there's no Timmy Chang to, to talk about. You know, <laughs> we to, literally to haven't say, seen I, anyone. They, they haven't been able to show the right. scrimmages. Right. And it, it's just, I, I think there's a buildup. And we'll, we always complain about the preseason games every year. But it is part of, you know, looking down the back end of the roster to see who makes, you know, might make special right. teams. Or there's. It's hasn't been there. You know, it's kind of like for me, you know, baseball without spring training. You know, you always look forward to that day in February when, you know, pitchers and catchers report the NFL preseason games, you know, you know, training camp being able to go up. You can't go up to Lehigh anymore. Um, but it's just sort of seeing that that video, looking, seeing fans go just the complete absence of it. You you don't realize how much a part of the season that is until it's no longer there. Yeah, I, I think moving forward, I think the the era of four preseason games is definitely over. Um, I, I think we're going to end up next year with two uh, because I think it's pretty clear that without them, there, there's there's really not the same you know evaluation opportunities. Uh, there's not the same opportunities for guys to win jobs and. Like you said, like from a fan standpoint, it really is part of the season. It's a part of the season we all talk about negatively. But then when it's not there, you're like, oh, you know, I really don't feel like I know anything about football this year. Right. And I think next year, um, just to, to look forward, something to look forward to is if they take away those two games, they might add two games to the schedule. And... I don't see that ever happening. I think one is what they've already agreed to. And I think that's what it's going to stay. I don't think the players union would ever approve a second game while also keeping two preseason games well i always i agree agree with you for the most part um but money always talks and one thing that i i think would be great for the nfl and actually for anybody who is hosts a super bowl party is that the season if they do add two games the season might line up um for president's day weekend and they would be able to have super bowl sunday and then a lot of people have off on Monday, so it would just be a little little extra bonus uh, for everyone who has to, you know, drag themselves to work that that Monday. You know, if you're lucky enough to get that day off, it's just you, know, you can stay up and, you know, watch all the post game stuff. You know, take advantage of a even bigger Super Bowl party or the big game. I'm not sure. You know, if the NFL's listening and looking to to trademark uh, certain things. If if you hear uh, some words beeped out, then you know that we've heard from. Some attorneys in the NFL office. That might mean we made it, though, if, if they're listening. <laughs> well, we, we're kind of talking about the NFL in general. Let's let's get a little more specific. Uh, you mentioned in the news, Eagles 
just like everybody else, having to get down to their 53-man roster. Uh, it seems like everyone other than Darius Slay, who plays cornerback for the Eagles, was cut over the weekend, including Cravon LeBlanc, who I did see re-signed with the team right away. So obviously something going on there. I, I don't really think that that would have been a surprise to him. I'm sure there's just some uh, roster uh, trickery going on with with roster limits and and salary cap stuff. So he'll be back this season. But what is your general feeling about the Eagles this year? We talked about the expectations with the Flyers, you know, going into the year and then how they changed over the summer. That the Eagles never get the benefit of the doubt there. Every year it seems like the fan base wants to win the Super Bowl or declare it a failure. Um, especially with a franchise quarterback who is handsomely rewarded and and a coach and and a lot of guys still on the team who won a Super Bowl. There is no, well, I'll take blank and, and it'll be a good season. It's, well, we, we got to contend for the Super Bowl. So what is your general feeling, your expectations, or even just what you want to see from the team this year? What I hope happens is that they're able to come overcome some of their early season injuries that they seem to have more than any other team in football every year. It's just who's not playing is usually the you know the first couple of weeks. Um, uh, this year, I'm looking uh, at them to be about eight and eight. Um, really, I I think they're going to take a bit of a step back. They weren't super aggressive in. Uh, in free agency, I think you know they added some talent on on offense, um, some young talent, but they haven't had the the true ability to do you know mini camps, all all those things that you hear about where you know players are able to gel early on. Uh, I think there is a possibility, as especially given where New York and uh, Washington are, that you know they might be able to sort of ride that maybe over overshoot that eight win target. Um, and then, you know, it all you know falls onto whatever dysfunction the Cowboys are or aren't having <laughs> this year. Um, but I think about eight wins, I think uh, the offensive line for me is the biggest worry. Um, I would say Deshaun Jackson, his him being healthy is probably the biggest factor for this team. Having that deep play threat, they're fine on a tight end. Uh, but having that star where they can, uh, you know, just where Carson Wentz can really just air it out um, is huge. You know, if that really clicks early on, like it did for that first game last year, uh, if that can click, then, you know, maybe they can, um, you know, go more towards 10 wins. But I'm settling eight and eight. I think this is a, a step back, a quasi rebuilding year, uh, maybe regrouping, not rebuilding. How do you see the, the season unfolding this year? Well, I mean, you kind of touched on both of my major points. Obviously, the offensive line injuries, um, first with Brooks and then with Dillard. Uh, breaking news today before we went on the air. I don't know if you even saw this, but uh, the pressure that we put on Jason Peters last week on the podcast was just too much. He apparently will be starting at left tackle as per a tweet from the Eagles and from Doug Peterson in his press conference. So breaking news. Three days late by the time you hear this on the Pooh Birds podcast. I, I can't remember the last time there was a release from a team saying what position someone would be starting. You, you know, it, it might be a little too much power for one player, especially an offensive lineman. Um, but, you know, it, it's good that he's going back over to the left side. 
Hopefully he can actually finish more games uh, this year than he has in the past. Maybe cut down on some of those false start penalties. But that's a that's a whole nother podcast. And we speculated last week on whether, you know, this was a thing, you know, capital T thing. Um, I think the tweet and the announcement is probably to eliminate speculation uh, and make this no longer a thing. So Jason Peters will be playing left tackle, which means now you've got to fill a hole at guard where you've had Pro Bowl play for years as well. But that is a key thing, um, which plays into the health of the starting quarterback. It, it's hard to to sit here and say that a guy is injury prone when his injury last year in that playoff game came on a dirty hit. But, you know, he has struggled to stay on the field, Carson Wentz. It's important for any team to keep your starting quarterback upright and healthy, regardless of the fact that, you know, you've signed him to a big contract. He's your franchise quarterback. I don't know if Nate Sudfeld or Jalen Hurts is going to be able to carry this team to the heights that Nick Foles did uh, in the playoffs a couple of years back, but they they really need Carson Wentz to stay healthy and the injuries to the offensive line could play a role in that. Yeah, I think with Wentz, I don't like to say he's injury prone. Um, he just gets hurt a lot. <laughs> now, granted, you know, if you're listening and driving, hopefully you didn't, you know, get mad and, you know, drive off the road uh, when you heard me, um, you know, nitpick with words like that. But for Wentz, he has, when I think of injury prone players, I think of Darren Sproles where he's hurting the same thing over and over again. Uh, you know, that concussion last year, he had to come out of the game um, as he should. Um, you know, some of his injuries have come from playing hard. It's not like he's got, you know, a bad knee or anything like that. I, you know, and I think he's, he's worked to keep himself in shape. It's just, it's just been unfortunate. And that's another reason why the offensive line is huge. The other thing that you touched on that I thought was important was that, you know, they're still in a division with the giants and with the Washington football team. That's four games a year against teams that are not really contending. Now I know every year there's a team that was garbage the year before that, that moves up into the playoffs. I, I don't know that It's not going to be Washington, I wouldn't think. I mean, the Giants do have Saquon Barkley. They have a young quarterback, but I'm not really concerned. I think the Eagles could very easily, even in a mediocre to bad season, win three of those four games. But looking at the rest of the schedule, it kind of really comes into sharp relief for you. They're playing against the AFC North, which means you're going to have Cincinnati. They're going to get number one pick Joe Burrow at home in week three. That means they also go to Cleveland, and who knows what the Browns are going to be. They're they're the the breakout team of the year candidate for like the last three four years. How's that worked out? It really it really hasn't. You know, they were in the playoff race a couple years back, but ultimately they do what they do, and 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 it's and that is not win. But that division also has Pittsburgh and Baltimore, and the Eagles as of now. And I say that because. I'm not entirely convinced that they finished the schedule, but we can talk about that later. The Eagles will play, like we said, Cincinnati in week three, and then at Pittsburgh and home for Baltimore in week five and six. That's back-to-back games against, you know, one of those teams was the top seed in the AFC last year, and the other is a team that's going to get its starting quarterback back in Pittsburgh with Ben Roethlisberger. And oh, by the way, between Cincinnati and Pittsburgh, you go out to San Francisco to play the reigning NFC champions on Sunday night football. So the early schedule starting in Washington and then home against the Rams, who also should be looking to bounce back. So you've got the Rams, the Bengals, the 49ers, the Steelers, and the Ravens. 
and then a short week to play the Giants. And then you host Dallas before your bye. And also Seattle and Green Bay and New Orleans and Arizona are on the schedule. You said eight and eight. Looking at it now, that that sounds optimistic. We're going to find out real quick if this team is any good. Um, They got better at their top cornerback spot. Deshaun Jackson is a guy who you mentioned who we also need to talk about. Will he stay healthy? You know, those soft tissue injuries that you see receivers get, those are the kind of thing that give guys that injury prone label. So is Deshaun Jackson, whose number one weapon is his speed, going to stay healthy? Is Alshon Jeffrey going to be traded? If not, is he going to play well? Jalen Rager is out a couple weeks. When he comes back, you know, what's he going to be? Are we counting on J.J. Ortega-Whiteside and Zach Ertz to carry the offense? Uh, it's, I mean, Miles Sanders had a good year last year, and and I'm looking forward to see him in the backfield. But, you know, this is a team that they could be a lot worse than 8-8 eight and eight looking at this schedule if they have a couple more injuries and especially in the quarterback position. But, you know, I think their defense is probably going to be good enough to keep them in games. It's just a matter of, you know, will the the skill position players, the weapons that Carson Wentz has at his disposal be out there on a consistent basis? Um, this is about as brutal looking a schedule as as they could have gotten, I think, for a team that won a division. So they've got their work cut out for them. And I think that we need to be prepared as fans to to see Dallas, I don't want to say run away with the division, but win the division. I think the Eagles are going to be contending for a wild card spot at best. So you said eight and eight. I I don't want to copy your pick, but I also don't want to be the guy that says seven and nine. But I mean, I think between seven and nine wins, if you look back on it come January, you'd say, yeah, that's probably about right. Right. They, I think they clearly have the second most talent in the division. I don't know if anyone's going to really dispute that, uh, or at least anyone objective uh, to where you know they they have star players, but they are also getting a little older. Um, maybe this is the last hurrah for some of those players, as they're you know scheduled to be way over the salary cap next year. Um, so this might be the last year for some guys like Brandon Graham that we're you know we've been used to seeing, and you know you hope that they don't go out on you know a sort of a middling eight and eight, but that that might just be where they are. What do you think is the the clear strength of the team? Tight end, um, you know, wide receivers are going to be a work in progress as, um, you know, as they kind of, as they work the rookies in, maybe, you know, if Deshaun is healthy for 12 games, I think 16 is probably a little unrealistic, but for 12 games, I think that would give them a huge boost. Uh, but, you know, tight end's the strength. Uh, they have Ertz and Goddard. Um, you know, last year, I believe they had 11 touchdowns for wide receivers and 11 touchdowns for tight ends. You know, maybe if they can, you know, give a little bit more of an edge to wide receivers to where he can, you know, he can air it out down the field and you know, stretch defense, uh, that would be huge. But for right now, Carson Wentz has his old reliable targets. Um, you know, it's they've they've been there for a couple of years now. I don't see that changing anytime soon. It's it's funny we're however far into a little bit of Eagles chat we are. We haven't mentioned Fletcher Cox. You know, like the all pro guy holding down that defensive line. Uh, I, I think he can make any unit a strength, uh, no matter who else is on it. So I, I think they're going to be able to get pressure on the quarterback defensively. And you know they added Slay to be able to cover wide receivers, a problem over the last couple of years. But 
ultimately, like you said, tight end. I mean, Zach Ertz is one of the top guys in the league. Again, it really it comes down to for me, can Carson Wentz stay healthy? Can the offensive line block? Because even if even if he does stay healthy, but takes you know forty sacks this season, the Eagles are going to have a really really bad year. So um, I'm looking for Miles Sanders to show us that last year was just a taste of what he can do. You know, defensively, you got to try to hold teams to 21, 24 points, and let uh, let Dougie P draw some stuff up on the offensive end. But uh, I, I, I mentioned something briefly, and I'll, I'll 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 come back to it. Do you think, from a a pandemic related standpoint, that we're going to see a full NFL season here? No, and I think football is going to have a lot more difficulty with that than baseball because baseball at least had 60 games. So maybe if a team plays 57, 56, you could just go winning percentage. Football's a little harder. You have 16. Do you start another roster on the fly if uh, you know a defensive line has an outbreak and you just need to fill in some slots for a game? Or do you just skip a week or two? Uh, you know, I, this is... Obviously unprecedented, but I, I don't know how they're going to get 16 games out of every single team. It's just impossible with the, you know, just especially with the traveling. At least baseball was able to limit the traveling. Uh, the NFL hasn't done that. And I, I feel like that's going to be one of those situations where it comes back to bite them. Well, I mean, we saw this weekend the Eagles signed Josh McCown to the practice squad. He's going to basically attend meetings from his home and he's going to hop onto zoom and he's going to attend meetings that way, stay in shape. He's an insurance policy. Yeah. (laughs) I I mean, I think you have to kind of put in 20 years of a career to get that spot, but he's going to make like 12 grand a week to stay home, work out, pop into meetings and just be there and be ready. Should an outbreak hit the Eagles quarterback room and teams have to do things like that. Like they're going to have to have some phone numbers lined up of guys that they can call in to be emergency fill-ins, you, you're going to see a, a game where, you know, a team plays with no tight ends because one of their tight ends had had an outbreak or, you know, special teams is all botched up. It's it's really strange to, to think about. And I imagine that something will happen that we didn't even think about. Um, obviously, you hope not. But if it's going to happen, I think it would happen early on. And the season begins this week with the Thursday night kickoff. So it's it's coming and, and it, it's just going to be one of those things where you got to you got to have all your ducks in a row. You got to have your contingencies in place. And that's what Josh McCown is for the Eagles. And I'm sure other teams have have their options. Josh McCown, remember, he is the last Eagle to to throw a pass in a playoff game. So he does have that going for him, which is nice. John, anything else in the Eagles or have we kind of hit on everything we wanted to talk about? I think we hit on the main points. We'll be able to get into Manusha a little bit more uh, throughout the season as we look at each game. How, how do you think the season is going to unfold across the league? Well, to that end, I actually had an idea. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with an NFL wins pool where everyone who gets in will draft a certain number of teams and collect the number of wins that each team that they draft gets. and Whoever has the most wins at the end of the year is declared the champion. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it. I thought we could do that. We could each draft maybe four teams. That'd be great. Let's go. Uh, I did find something uh, interesting. When they do these, they don't usually do like a a typical snake draft. 
So I'm going to give you the option to go first or second. If you go first, you'll have the fourth, sixth, and seventh picks. If you go second, you'll get third, fifth, and eight. Which one do you want? I'll go second. Interesting. All right. Well, I'll go first, and I think it's pretty clear what I'm going to take. I'm going to leave you with a difficult decision. I'm going to take the Kansas City Chiefs, the defending Super Bowl champions, Patrick Mahomes, Andy Reid, the greatest coach in Philadelphia Eagles history. Don't at me. I'll take Kansas City to start my my group. If you do want to add Joe at Boobert's podcast, that's the handle to do it at. Uh, my team that I, I think is going to take the next step this year is the Baltimore Ravens. We saw them, uh, you know, finally ascend on the back of Lamar Jackson this year. I don't see any reason why uh, they won't, you know, take another step up this year. All right. You also have the third pick. Who are you going to take there? I'm going to go with the New Orleans Saints, our old friend Malcolm Jenkins. I think they might be able to do a last run with Drew Brees. Interesting. Uh, I'm going to assume that there's going to be a little backslide in San Francisco, especially Seattle and LA. Those are those are decent teams. I, I'm trying to sniff around for a sleeper. I don't know who it's going to be. So let me just take San Francisco and hope that they can come in with like maybe 11 or 12 wins this year. All right, you're up next. And I think just continue with the theme of uh, ex-Eagles or ex-people who used to work for the Eagles doing well. Uh, Frank Reich and the Indianapolis Colts, you know, like they're kind of an interesting team over the last couple of years. And I th- think we could see them taking, uh, like the Baltimore Ravens, just take that next step. You just took my pick. I, I had them. I have the next two picks and they were, uh, one of my, yeah, they were one of my choices. Uh, I very much like that they added Philip Rivers. He is a, uh, top notch caliber quarterback still, uh, maybe doesn't get the appreciation and, and respect from people in general, but I think he's certainly going to be an upgrade over uh, what they had last year in light of the retirement of Andrew Luck. But since you took Indianapolis, I am going to go with the team that I think is going to cause some trouble for your New Orleans Saints pick. I'm going to ride 43-year-old Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I mean, Carolina's having a, uh, a bit of a rebuilding time, and Atlanta, who knows what they're going to be. The Saints, I don't know if they're going to be as good as as you and others think they are. So I think Tampa is in a situation where they won seven games last year. They've improved a great deal. Um, They may not be a 13-win team, but I think they're certainly going to be in the running to be a 10, 11, 12-win team. So I will gladly take the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now I have the next pick, and this is my last one. I'm looking towards the NFC. I'm looking at the North Division. The time is going to come when they hit the downslide, but I'm going to go with the Green Bay Packers. So right now that gives me the Kansas City Chiefs, the San Francisco 49ers, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and the Green Bay Packers. John, why don't you give us your last pick, who I'm sure is going to be either a ridiculous sleeper or a doozy that I can't believe I missed. Well, I think it's a little bit of both. Uh, It's a doozy of a sleeper at Buffalo Bills. Oh, wow. Shout out to our friend Jack. Might be the year where the Bills finally, finally uh, just take the... Next step, they've got a young quarterback who played well last year. Who knows? Tom Brady's not in the division anymore. We'll see. There's also, more than any other pick, the chance for me to eat my words on this <laughs> and wonder why the 4-12 and 12 Bills uh, were you know, <laughs> something that I would ride with. The uh, overall win totals uh, that Vegas has for both the Bills and the Patriots, both at nine. Interesting. Then again, they have the Packers at eight and a half and the Vikings at nine. So maybe I should have gone another direction. But 
I don't know. They still have the best quarterback in that division. All right. So real quick, once again, I have the Kansas City Chiefs, the San Francisco 49ers, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and the Green Bay Packers. John has the Baltimore Ravens, the New Orleans Saints, the Indianapolis Colts, and the Buffalo Bills. So we're going to check back maybe periodically through the season, maybe just at the end and see who was the winner. Hopefully it was me, but it almost never really is me. So I just thought that would be a fun little thing we could do to, you know, just keep track of during the season. And we can do things like that throughout the year. And, and I'm, I'm looking forward to all of our mini competitions where in the end we end up tying or splitting the overall results. And I just want to say Seattle Seahawks on record, uh, just so we can edit that in and post later <laughs> after I inevitably text Joe saying, please get rid of the Bulls pick. <laughs> Have that, that digitized Seattle Seahawks voice for your last pick. All right. Well, I think that's enough for us for this week. I know you're going to head out and enjoy what's left of Labor Day weekend with your family. Real quick, you, uh, you posted another piece over the weekend about the Phillies offense. I am going to have something up about my thoughts on NHL replay. Um, spoiler alert, I don't like it. Do you have anything else coming up for the website? Yeah, this is also this is not something uh, that I think people will love reading, but might appreciate reading. A little PTS fan PTSD here. I'm going to look back at some home runs uh, against the Phillies that I was able to witness that have stood out over the years. You are really getting into the nitty gritty there. Well, that's what we do. You can find that when it appears and everything else we've done on our website, boobirdspodcast.com. We're also on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Radio Public, and more. We were just added to the TuneIn app over the weekend. If you have TuneIn, look us up and subscribe there. But make sure you download our episodes, subscribe to our feeds, give us five stars in a review, help us get the word out about the show. And again, you can connect with us on our social media accounts, Twitter and Facebook. Follow or like us at Boobirds Podcast. And of course, our website is boobirdspodcast.com. John, enjoy your... Labor Day gathering. I will talk to you next week. All right. See you next week, Joe. Go Bills.